uh, your former lawyer, Michael Cohen, who worked for you for 10 years, his office right next to yours, right yeah. by yours at Trump Tower. He called you a, a liar, a con man, a racist. What's your response to Michael Cohen? Well, it's uh, incorrect, and he lied a lot, but it was very interesting because he didn't lie about one thing. He said, no collusion with the Russian hoax. And I said, I wonder why he didn't just lie about that, too, like he did about everything else. I mean, he lied about so many different things. And I was uh, actually impressed that he didn't say, well, I think there was collusion for this reason or that. He didn't say that. He said, no collusion. And I was uh, you know, a little impressed by that, frankly. Could have He could have gone all out. He only went about 95 percent instead of 100 percent. But the fact is, there is no collusion. And I call it the witch hunt. This should never happen to another president. This is so bad for our country. So bad. Uh, you look at this whole uh, hoax. It's a, I call it the Russian witch hunt. I now add the word hoax. It's a very, very bad thing for our country. But um, I was impressed with the fact that he uh, when you know, because the most important question up there was the one on collusion. And he said he saw no collusion. So we'll see what happens. But it was pretty shameful, I think. We covered a lot of ground in episode one under the premise that we will be doing three things. First, diving into the deep, dark recesses of the Russian mafia as it pertains to Donnie Trump and his many associates. Second, that we would try and understand the symbiotic and sinister relationship that Russian intelligence has with American businesses. And lastly, that in real time, we're gonna uncover and track the many investigations that currently exist that could put our 45th president in the clink. What is important to recognize is what is available to us to watch, listen, and read on this subject matter. And I can't imagine that you as an individual has the time, patience, or wherewithal to go through and parse what is vital as it relates to this story. I will also argue that your media diet probably consists of just sticking to a few outlets and other podcasts that maybe leans left or right on the political spectrum. I'm not faulting you for that. It's just the way we are being conditioned these days, spoon-fed by algorithms. Now, my media diet on embarking on this particular investigation will not only require me to do my own reporting, gonna rely on the reporting of other outlets and funnel that information to you. I'm gonna be your personal curator as it relates to crime and punishment and old Donnie T. Hopefully you can keep up and because this stuff is happening fast and as January 20th approaches I'm sure that this story will take us down into the caverns of filth that our esteemed American politicians have created in Washington DC and abroad. Up first, and you might have heard this guy's name, is Michael Cohen. Cohen was Donnie Boy's fixer, and now he's been exalted by the media as a Don Trump prognosticator. The guy who knows how his brain works, if that is even fucking possible. But I found an interesting interview Cohen did with something called The Hive, a podcast hosted by Jane Fox and Joe Hagan. There were some tidbits that we should unpack. Cohen's history and his past connections are kind of interesting, more so than I originally thought. 
Let's hear from Mikey Likes at first, then delve into his weird connections to the Russian mob. Bet you didn't know that part of the story. In Godfather terms, would you say he's the Tom Hagen of the sort of, of the Trump universe? Sort like of. a consigliere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time I I interviewed Michael, he basically was like, the, "I'm I'm the the fourth adult child of Trump." Or presented it that mm. way. It wasn't exactly that quote, but interesting. Um, and and obviously things have changed so much, but there's there's a dynamic there where he was just kind of in the room all the time and. Because he was such a fan of Donald Trump for so many years before he actually worked for him, I think he took the opportunity once he was in the room to really study him as an entrepreneur, as a brander, as a uh, as a business person. Michael Cohen is important, as I feel like the investigative bodies that are going after Trump kind of see him like the Sammy the Bull to Trump's John Gotti. See, Cohen is a dirty motherfucker himself. So I'm sure the investigators love that he knows all the dirt. And as Cohen continues to write books and do interviews, there's no doubt he will find himself inside a courtroom testifying at some point if charges are brought against Trump world. And so he really like, he was intently focused on watching him when he was there for his own professional reasons. And it really, it really, he, he has a real window into Donald Trump's psyche. And so he's been very valuable to me as a, as a source. And we talk all about all the predictions he had made about Donald Trump and, and what he predicts will happen now. It's incredibly fascinating. You know, in 2019, when he testified to Congress, uh, he said there will be no peaceful transition if Donald Trump right. loses. He knew. He knew because he knew this man. And we talk all about that. And we talk all about what's happening now and what he thinks will happen in terms of investigations to come. Because, you know, Michael has spent dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours cooperating with investigations from the Mueller team to Congress to the SDNY to um, the New York State Attorney General, who has said that, that much of her investigation that is to come is based on his testimony and um you know it's it's a fascinating look and he explains that look he knows what he did and he knows what he did was wrong and he lives with the consequences of that we talked all about what the consequences of his actions were and um it's a really really fascinating interview i'm excited to get into it but i have a few other things i want to talk about first i think this is why we're in a situation now where he has so many people he could potentially pardon because i think when you get around him i do believe for much of his life donald trump could have shot someone down fifth avenue and not not gotten in trouble and i think that that has led to people around him also believing that they're invincible right but we're now at a point where Rudy Giuliani looks like he's in some real trouble. Steve Bannon looks like he's in some real trouble. And we're entering a phase in the president's final last gasps of him being in power where he has the potential to use one of his ultimate powers to pardon these individuals. Do you think he's going to just pardon everybody? No. And let me again deep, dig dig deep into the men, the men, right, of Donald Trump in a way that people have not thought of it. 
I have say I have stated on more times than I care to even discuss that Donald Trump cares for no one or anything except for himself. And I've said it to you while you were interviewing me, that includes his own children. Donald Trump will only do what benefits Donald Trump. So let's talk about the pardons. Will Donald Trump pardon Rudy Giuliani? Will he pardon Steve Bannon? Will he pardon Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, Jared? Right? Will he will he pardon these individuals, which he certainly has the power to do, but will he do it? And here's my answer. No. Because the first thing that Donald Trump is evaluating when deciding who to pardon and who not to pardon, what's in it for me? Now, you have to say, well, you know, you don't want your kids to go to jail. Hold on one second. What you have to understand is that if he pardons, for example, Jared Kushner, and it would be considered a pre-pardon since Jared has not been charged with any crime as of yet. If he does that, Jared loses his Fifth Amendment right to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jared could be compelled to testify in a court of law or even have to appear before a hearing before Congress. And the questions that, of course, that will be asked of him are no doubtably against Donald Trump. So Donald is now thinking in his head, wait, 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 if I give this guy the pass to keep his ass out of prison, he may be putting mine in. So, yeah, I'm not so sure I'm going to be doing that. And right now he's in a funny situation with 37 days left. He has to really evaluate which people could pose problems to him, knowing now that the attorney general has the right to his taxes. And so does Cy Vance, the DA. And there are and there will be, I should say, a multitude of cases coming out of all of that information. So the question again becomes, if I give somebody a pardon, how can it hurt me? more than help me. It's obvious that this journalist has spent some time with Mikey and they have a nice rapport. And I have to say, this was a great piece of intel inside the interview on possibly what Don Trump is thinking. And by default, Cohen, I think, is using his law degree here to give us some inside baseball on the legal aspects of this. Could Don Trump's family members be compelled to testify if he pardons them? It's an interesting take, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. I do have strong personal feelings about one thing. The debate in the mainstream media seems to be twofold. They all say that Trump probably won't be charged federally because he is going to have someone pardon him or he's going to pardon himself. This for legal scholars is like the Super Bowl of constitutional arguments that most likely will go to the Supreme Court. But let me leave you with a thought. The Donald tends to not really listen to anyone, and that includes the many high-powered lawyers he pays around him. So this could get interesting as the pardons start to leak out of the White House. Do you think that he will step down a day before he's supposed to peacefully leave office so that Pence could pardon him? No, that's not going to happen. First of all, 
Donald Trump will never step down because, again, let's go back to his fragile ego. That means that he was forced to step down by small, simple people and like you or me, right? And that he'll never allow because then it, again, tattoos the stamp of loser on his forehead. So he will never do that. Totally. Uh, you you brought up something that I am desperate to talk to you about, so I just want to get right to it. You brought up the multitude of investigations that lie ahead and all the different people who could potentially be investigating him. You have spent dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of hours cooperating with investigators from the Mueller team all that time ago, the Southern District of New York, to Congress, to state attorney generals. Are you still assisting with anything? And what do you think the kinds of charges would or could be uh, in the months and years to come? So that's a great question. One that I could partially answer and the other part that obviously I can't. I get it. I I had to try. Yeah. uh, I mean, I have invested um, more hours and more dollars than I care to even disclose And I have provided them, um, as Tish James, our attorney general, had stated on MSNBC several times over the last week, that her entire investigation stems from my hearings as well as my testimony to them. They have, so I, I don't want to discuss with you what the sum and substance of my conversations with them, that wouldn't be right to jeopardize their investigation. Uh, and their potential litigation against Trump, the children, the Trump organization. But rest assured, the one thing that I can tell you about the people that I had met, whether it was the attorney general's people or Cy Vance, the district attorney's people, they're very well prepared. And Mm. they are, they're locked and loaded with a very specific task, which is, to bring justice to the crimes that they have been investigating and that they know are legitimate. I'm beginning to like this guy, Michael Cohen. He sounds like a cross between a mob lawyer and some of my shyster friends that work on Wall Street doing pump and dumps. But seriously, something does worry me that he might be the main conduit of information inside Trump world for any investigator to use. Uh, But you said something that I've been thinking about, or you wrote something that I've been thinking about a lot lot lately. You basically said, I'm going to quote you, if something didn't work out for Trump to his satisfaction, he dropped the whole project instantaneously, or at least after he'd wallow in his outrage or his anger. And I've been thinking about it a lot when it comes to, you know, this notion that on inauguration day, he's going to announce that he's running for president in 2024. And if that's the case, it goes in the face of, of how he's behaved. The politics thing didn't work out for him. He lost. Do you think that he's going to immediately jump right back in? Or is that just going to be another marketing thing for him to get the subscribers to pay the four ninety nine a month? Or a combination of both. So he is desperate for the four ninety nine a month by his supporters. That's his income. Right now, the company is financially in trouble. And when the IRS turns around and looks at his tax returns and they reve- and it's revealed that he owes hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And that's without the fraud penalty that they attach to it. Um, and believe me, I know all about that. Um, 
he his financial standing is going to be decimated because he'll have to sell the few assets that he has that are performing assets and he'll be stuck with the non-performing assets which basically makes the company worthless and for trump that's the worst is that you're right to take away the b the billionaire status you know that he likes to say you know i'm worth 10 billion dollars maybe even more uh no you're not so the answer to that is yes right however he is going to counter program the Biden inauguration and it's so disgraceful if you think about it as an american right this man won the election just as you did and someone like Barack Obama who he had denigrated on a regular basis whether it was from birtherism all the way down he still had the the honor the decency the humility right the patriotism to sit in that front row as we as we handed over the administration one administration to another in a peaceful transition of power but Donald Trump does not have any humility he's not there's no humbleness to him there's no decency to him so what is he going to do he's going to counter program the event the same way that when he had a fight with the um the debate the second debate so instead he says i'm not doing it why should i make you guys money there's no reason for it you the only <laughs> ones that make money and everybody attacks me right it's because he was completely unprepared because he doesn't prepare so instead i'm going to go raise money for the veterans right and they raised money but not the money that they mentioned and then if it wasn't for a reporter saying hey Why don't you tell us which veteran associations you gave the money to? Did they actually start sending checks out to people? Oh, well we're checking. We're checking. Right? Well, I got to speak to my CFO Alan Weisselberg because he's as bad Alan Weisselberg is as guilty of everything as Donald Trump. And yet in my specific case, they gave that fuck nut a what do you call it? A a pass with a um with uh what do you call it? immunity, limited sense of immunity. I mean, I just don't get it. Well, we'll see what comes of him and for the rest of the Trump organization as things continue to play out. Cohen fascinates me. And why he fascinates me is that I'm not sure his whole story has been told. And one thing that the journalist left out of this particular interview was the following. Michael Cohen and his family have intricate connections to Russian organized crime. These connections started back in the day in Brooklyn. through his uncle. Michael had a stake in a place called the El Caribe Country Club in Brooklyn. Basically an event space. But imagine it was also a place where infamous Russian mobster named Marat Belugala kept office space. It's been speculated that this place was some sort of home base for the Russians of Brighton Beach. place to swill vodka and plot that next extortion scheme. In a recent Wall Street Journal article, Michael Cohen is on record bragging at a wedding about being connected to the Russian mob. Cohen worked on a 2015 Russian tower development and most importantly with Philip Sater, who famously emailed Cohen in 2015 bragging about his connections to Russian President Putin, saying, "I quote, I will get Putin on this program and we will get Donald elected." 
buddy, our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer. I will get all Putin's team to buy in on this, close quote. Felix Sater is a real estate developer who worked for a decade on Trump-branded properties in New York and in Moscow. In 2016, Cohen emailed Putin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, trying to advance a real estate project in Moscow. This establishes the appearance of a direct business connection between Russia and Donald Trump. Trump's son, in 2008, is also on record saying, I quote, we see a lot of money pouring in from Russia. Reuters investigators indicate 63 individuals with Russian connections purchased $100 million in property at seven Trump-branded towers. Additionally, numerous Russian business entities own units at these properties. Now, Cohen grew up in Long Island, and his uncle, Morty Levine, owned a country club that was frequented by Russian organized crime. Cohen's siblings all owned a part of this club for years. Insiders allege that Cohen was, in fact, introduced to Trump by his father-in-law, Fima Shusterman, a Ukrainian that in 1993 was convicted of money laundering. A formal federal investigator stated, I quote, FEMA may have a possible business partner with Trump, perhaps even uses a conduit for Russian investors in Trump properties and other ventures, close quote. Recently, quote, Cohen and his father-in-law loaned $26 million to associates of Cohen's father, the taxi mogul Sam Scheissner, to develop a marijuana investment company. This and business deals like his co-ownership in a Ukrainian ethanol company did not likely escape the Mueller investigation, who, during their investigations, asked about 40 people and companies connected to Cohen. So, when maybe Cohen said he was connected to the Russian mob, we should take him serious. Doesn't it all seem odd when you really start to unpack who was around Donnie Trump? And again, I'm giving him the pass for the real estate stuff and most of his career. But after rubbing elbows with some of these Russian guys, you would think Donnie would just do a deep scrub here and not actively try and court information or favors from these types of guys. The fluid nature of the Russian crime network makes it difficult for police to understand how they operate. In 1983, the cops get a lucky break in the form of a stick figure diagram outlining the structure of the Russian organized crime network. Showing Efsay Agron at the head of the network. At the foot of his network is Boris Neyfeld. On weekends, Agron and Neyfeld visit a Russian bathhouse on Manhattan's Lower East Side to conduct business. When I trust people, you go together for Russian bed, close out, you go sit down and talk about everything. Agron's constant attempts to muscle in on Markowitz's gasoline business makes him a man with many enemies. For protection, Neyfeld follows him everywhere he goes. He never be in alone. I have a gun. And protect him. On the morning of May 4, 1985, Neyfeld arrives at Agron's apartment building on Ocean Parkway. He calls Agron to tell him to come downstairs so they can go to the Russian bathhouse. Agron leaves his apartment and calls for the elevator. While he waits for the elevator, an assassin steps from the shadows and puts a bullet in the back of his head. 
Agron's murder investigation goes absolutely nowhere. The best law enforcement can come up with is neighborhood rumors. To this day, officially, that case has never been solved. Boris Neyfeld quickly goes to work for the next most powerful gangster in Brighton Beach and FCA Agron's financial advisor, Marat Belagula. Marat Belagula, he don't like FCA. He don't like another people. Doesn't matter. He like me. Balagula and Neyfeld try to forge their own gas tax scam, but Franzese turns them down. I wasn't too crazy about him. When Murat got wind of it and understood that Markowitz was in it in a big way along with me, he tried to get involved, and um, I shut him out. Undeterred, Balagula makes an alliance with Lucchese family captain and future underboss Anthony Gaspipe Castle. We make together business, we spill up money. It's my opinion. I never trust Italian. I know Italian not trust the Russian. They have power, they have connection, they have a lot of, a lot of connection for every business what they have in the United States. With Lucchese family backing, Francese is forced to come to the negotiating table. But in December of 1985, after a high-ranking mafia member turns informant, the feds finally have enough to bust Francis on racketeering charges. Michael Francisi, said to be one of the youngest and richest of the mafia bosses, allegedly ran the mob's involvement in the gasoline business. I took a plea. I got a 10-year prison sentence, $15 million restitution. Markowitz is also picked up, but remarkably, he only receives a fine and house arrest which makes the Colombo family think that he's secretly cooperating with the feds. In May of 1989, after playing cards with friends, Markowitz was driving his Rolls Royce on East 66th Street in Mill Basin, Brooklyn, when a man stepped into the middle of the street and flagged him down. As Markowitz stopped his car to talk, the man produced a 38 caliber revolver and fired into the car. Markowitz has broken the underworld code of silence and pays with his life. It originated with our crew. All the beans were being spilled about the gas business. It was an authorized uh, deal. With Francis in prison, various Russian crews look to fill the void. With the breakup of the Francis Markowitz gas scam, Balagula emerges as the most powerful Russian operator. But that doesn't stop predatory Russian gangsters from trying to shake him down. These guys were players, and they were circling in the world of Michael Cohen, a world that Donald Trump not only felt comfortable in, but most likely was dragged into knowingly or unknowingly by a key figure in this whole story who operates in the shadows, and that is Felix Sater. Today, the House Intelligence Committee finally got its chance to grill Felix Sater. The former Trump business partner skipped his date with them last month, using a classic excuse. He missed his alarm because he was sick. So the committee subpoenaed him. Despite Sater saying he'd answer all questions, the committee released a rare statement saying he failed to fully cooperate and didn't produce the documents they asked for. Sater has a long criminal history, 
But the reason anyone cares about him is that he's the member of Trump's network with the closest ties to the Kremlin. In 2015, he bragged that he could get a Trump Tower off the ground in Moscow with help from Russian President Vladimir Putin. It's a long way from Sater's beginnings in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, 